0: chapter 12 of the escape of a princess pat this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org the escape of a princess pat by george pearson chapter 12 the escape mervin simmons of the 7th and frank brumley of the 3rd battalion canadian expeditionary force were planning to escape Word of it leaked through to me. This added fuel to the fire of my own similar ambition. They and I, too, thought that it was not advisable for more than two to travel together. I began to look around for a partner. I weighed up all my comrades. It was unwise to broach the subject to too many of them. I bided my time until a certain man, having dropped remarks which indicated certain sporting proclivities, I broached the subject to him he was most enthusiastic. We decided on Switzerland as our objective and awaited only the opportunity to make a break. There were few, if any, preparations to make. We were not yet receiving parcels, and our allowance of food was so scanty that it was impossible to lay any by. We had a crude map of our own drawing, and that was our all. In the interval we discussed ways and means of later travel, and endeavoured to prepare our minds for all contingencies, even capture. We talked the matter over with Simmons and Brumley, at every opportunity, so as to benefit also by their plans. This required caution, so we were careful at all times that we should not be seen together, rather that we should even appear unfriendly. We developed the cunning of the oppressed, Once we even staged a wordy quarrel over some petty thing for the benefits of our guards and others of the prisoners whom we distrusted. At other times we foregathered in dim corners of our huts as though by chance. We conversed covertly from the corners of our mouths and without any movement of the lips as convicts do. This avoidance of one another was made the easier because of the arrangement of the personnel of each hut. The various nationalities, were pretty well split up in companies, presumably to prevent illicit cooperation, and each company was separated from the others by the wire. Our chance came at last. We were warned for a working party on a railroad grade nearby. As compliance would enable us to get on the other side of the wire, we made no protest. This work was a part of the authorities' scheme of farming prisoners out to private individuals and corporations who required labor in this case it was a railroad contractor as a rule the contractors fed us better than the authorities if for no other reason than to keep our working strength up we were marched out of the lager without any breakfast each morning to the work and there received a little sausage and a bit of bread for breakfast at noon we received soup of a better quality than the camp stuff it was cooked by a russian pole a civilian one of many who was living out in the town on parole These had to report regularly to the authorities and had to remain in the local area. We were on the job a week before things seemed favorable. We had only what we stood in, excepting the rough map, which was drawn from hearsay and our scanty knowledge of the country. We planned to travel at night, lay our course by the stars, and perhaps walk to Switzerland in six weeks. We worked all morning, grading on the railroad embankment. At noon we knocked off for soup and a rest. We were on the edge of a large wood. Some of the men flung themselves on the bank. Others went to see if the soup was ready. A few went into the wood. The solitary guard was elsewhere. We said good-bye to the few who knew of our plans. They bade us Godspeed, and then we, too, faded into the recesses of the wood. We had no sooner set foot in it than I noticed a curious change come over my companion. He said that it was a bad time, a bad place, found fault with everything, and said that we should not go that day. However, we continued, half-heartedly on his part, to shove our way on into the wood. Occasionally he glanced fearfully over his shoulder, and voiced querulous protests. I did not answer him. A little further on, and he stopped. A dog was barking. "'There are too many dogs about, Edwards, and just look at all those houses.' He pointed to where a village showed through the trees. Sure thing, there'll be houses thick like that all the way. It's our job to keep clear of them. Yes, but look at the people. There's bound to be lots of them, where there's so many houses. Of course there are, I replied. Germany's full of houses and people. That's no news. Come on. Oh, they'll see us, sure, Edwards, and telegraph ahead all over the country. We haven't got any more show than a rabbit. With that, I lost patience and gave him a piece of my mind we stood there arguing it back and forth. It was no use. He fell prey to his own fears, saw certain capture and a dreadful punishment. He conjured up all the dangers that an active imagination could envisage. Every bush was a German, and every sound the occasion of a fresh alarm. He was like to ruin my own nerves with his petty panics. It was in vain that I pleaded with him. He could not face the dangers that he saw ahead, "'The loggers seemed to him, by comparison, a haven of refuge. "'When all else failed, I appealed to his pride. "'He had none. "'I warned him that we should meet with nothing but scorn from our comrades, "'excepting laughter, which was worse. "'I begged and pleaded with him to go on with me. "'No use. "'All his courage was foam, and had settled back into dregs. "'And so we returned. "'I was heartbroken, but there was no use in my going on alone.' to travel by night we must sleep in the daytime, and that required that someone should always be on watch to avoid the chance travellers of the day, which was obviously impossible for anyone who travelled alone. We had been gone only an hour and a half, and the guard was just beginning to look around for us. Otherwise we had not been missed nor seen, for the wood was a large one, and we had not yet gotten out of its confines. The guard, was too relieved to find us when we stepped out of the wood and picked up our shovels to do more than betray a purely personal annoyance. He asked us where we had been and why we had remained for so long a time. We gave the obvious excuse. He was too well pleased at his own narrow escape from responsibility to be critical, so that the affair ended in so far as he or his kind were concerned, which made what followed the harder to bear." for it was not so with our own comrades. My prognostication had been a correct one. A few of them had known that we were going. Some had bade us good They rested on their picks now and stared at us, lifting their eyebrows with a knowing smile for one another and a half sneer for us. My companion had already plumbed the depth of fear, and so was now lost to all shame. Myself I found it very hard. Soldiers have, outwardly at least, but little tenderness, except perhaps in bad times, and they showed us none now, nor mercy. The situation would have been ridiculous, had it not been so utterly tragic, to have failed without trying. Edward's escape became camp awful. We became the butt and the byword of the camp, so that I honestly regretted not having pushed on alone. I felt sure that the almost certain capture, and more certain punishment, would have been more bearable than this. There was nothing that I could say in my own defence, except at the other man's expense, which would have been in questionable taste and would have been deemed the resort of a weakling. So I kept my counsel and brooded. The ignorance of the guards made the tragedy comic. It was very humiliating. I gritted my teeth and swore that I, at any rate, should go again in spite of their incredulous jeers. But it was all terribly discouraging and made me most despondent and that finished that trip to Switzerland. A few days later, Simmons and Brumley disappeared. There was no commotion. One day they were with us, and the next they were not. The guards said nothing, and we feared to ask. I longed ardently to be with them. In a few days, the camp was thrown into a mild turmoil. The poor fellows were escorted in under a heavy guard, and very dejected they looked, too in rags, very wet, and evidently short of food, sleep, and a shave. Nevertheless, I envied them. They disappeared for a long time. We were told they got two weeks' cells, and six weeks of sitting on the stools in strafe barracks. I remembered the Yorkshiremen, and my envy was tempered. I spent most of my time casting about for the means for a real escape. Quite aside from my natural desire for freedom, I felt that my good name, as a soldier was at stake. However, I waited for an opportunity to converse with Simmons and Brumley before doing anything, as I felt that their experience might contain some useful hints for me. They appeared at the end of two months quite undismayed. They told me of what had happened to them, and Simmons approached me on the subject of making another try of it with them. I readily consented." They were now convinced that three or four could make the attempt with a better chance of success than two men. I would have agreed to go on in army. All I wanted was an opportunity to prove my mettle and retrieve my lost reputation. They told me their story. It seems that they had been sent out as a working party to a nearby farm. They were locked in the room, as usual at nine o'clock that night, after the day's work, and then waited until they heard the sentry pass by a couple of times on his rounds. The window was covered with barbed wire, which they had no difficulty in removing. By morning they were well on the way to Switzerland. They figured that they, too, could do it in six weeks of walking by night, laying their course by the stars. They had no money, and were still in khaki. They were four days out, and lying close in a small clump of bushes, "'adjoining a field in which women were digging potatoes "'when a small boy stumbled on them. "'They knew they had been seen the day before "'and chose this spot rather than the nearby wood, "'thinking that it was there the hue and cry would run. "'But he was a crafty little brat "'and pretended that he had not seen them. "'They were not certain whether he had or not, "'and hesitated to give their position away by running for it. "'The boy walked until he neared the women, when he broke into a run, and soon all gathered in a little knot, looking and pointing toward the fugitives. Some of the women broke away and evidently told some Bavarian soldiers who had been searching. The latter had already been firing into the woods to flush them out, so that if the boy had not seen them, the soldiers would in all likelihood have passed on after searching the main wood. It was just four o'clock, with darkness still four hours off, Simmons and Brumley were unarmed. There was no use in running for it, so they surrendered with what grace they could. There was the usual verdamming, growling, and prodding, but no really bad treatment. For this, they were sentenced to two weeks' cells and six weeks of strafe barracks. They had been much bothered by the lack of a compass on their trip, so when they finished their strafing and were once more allowed the privileges of the mail... Simmons took a chance and wrote on the inside of an envelope addressed to his brother in Canada, Send a compass. He was not called up, so we hoped that it had gone through. End of chapter 12